0: This isn't over, Strange. You're right, Batman. It's just beginning.
1: everyone, and welcome to episode 11 of Legends of the Batman. My name is Michael Kaiser.
2: And I am Michael Bradley.
1: And as always, the purpose of this show is to cover everything Batman from the beginning. So with each episode, we take a month worth of Batman material, starting with his first appearance in Detective Comics number 27 back in April of 1939. So for this week, we are moving on to a new year as, we, as we've completed our Batman coverage for all things Batman released in 1939. So now it's on to 1940, January 1940 specifically, as we cover the only comic released at that time, which was Detective Comics number 36. Yep. But before we start that, uh, we've been a bit behind on reader emails as we had... Last, at last episode, we, had a, we were doing a special thing, so we just didn't read any, and before that, we were having some computer issues, so it's about time we got to those again, I think. Um,
2: yes, we, we're very sorry that we, we have been behind, but it's just one of those things that couldn't be helped. So.
1: Right. So first up, we got Glade Packer, and he writes, Hey guys, love listening to what you had to say about this issue of Batman, and he's talking about episode five. Just a few thoughts. I think why Bruce was thinking in his underwear is that I think what Bruce was thinking in his underwear is that he is enjoying his final days as a bachelor. When he gets when he gets married to Julie, he won't be able to lounge around anymore in his undies, so why not enjoy it while it lasts? As to why he took the gyro instead of going with Julie, two reasons. If you have a cool gadget, wouldn't you be dying to check it out? Plus the cost of a luxury ticket or two might be way too expensive. But of course, he is Bruce Wayne, so that reason is out the window. I had a question for you. This era's Batman versus Superman. Who do you think would win? I know we always have that debate nowadays, but that's generally with the godlike Superman and the gadget-possessed Batman of these days. What of the Golden Age originals? Uh, Thanks for the great podcast and for opening my ears to the awesome killing force of the Batman or the ever just and righteous law-abiding Batman, Glade.
2: remind me have they said at this point that he is a millionaire
1: they said he is a all they've said is he's a bored young socialite isn't it
2: right i guess that kind of implies that he has money it implies he has money, but it doesn't
1: necessarily mean he's got mansion money i don't know right you know he could be like you know great great gatsby money or something but <laughs> um yeah so they haven't really gone into his money situation that much Right. We haven't seen him do anything for a living though other than oh apparently he writes for the newspaper now. But
2: <laughs> Apparently, yeah. <laughs> that was as random as Ju- uh Julie Madison though. So Right, right.
1: Um as far as Batman versus Superman, I don't, I Superman. think Yeah. I mean, especially right now where Superman has no kryptonite weakness. Right. That's been introduced. Um Although in uh an issue we were I was just reading he uh he got uh electrocuted and knocked unconscious so there's hope i guess Mm -hmm. but but yeah i I just don't see it nine times out of ten superman for sure
2: right especially especially in this golden age i mean the way they're both portrayed at this point uh, right in 1940 january 1940 you know because yeah he
1: just doesn't (laughs) batman just doesn't have the the tech that he does in the right in the present day right I don't know what he would do, throw a boomerang at his head? I mean,
2: (laughs) a fire extinguisher, a ruby idol, whatever was handy, you know. Right. Uh, Our next email is from John Wilson, and we got this back at the beginning of May, so we are, you can see how far behind we are. But the subject is Episodes 5 and 6, Meddling Monks and Vamp Wolves. And it starts, Howdy, bat folks! First, let me start off by saying you guys are doing a great job with the new show. I'm not sure how far ahead you're recording, so it might be another six or seven episodes before this gets read, (laughs) making the show a little less new, but still. It's great. Although Although it was a little apparent in the first episode or two that you guys were new to one another, over these first six weeks, you've both let your metaphorical hair down and gotten into the groove with each other, so that is fun to listen to. Plus, you like Batman and have good geek heads on your shoulders for discussing stories. I've read this monk story a few times now. The first time was when I was in sixth grade, and I had the first Batman Archives hardcover. Man, that was a cool book. Then again with my daughter when we read the same book a few months ago, and coincidentally again with her last week as part of the greatest Batman stories ever told. You did a good job with presenting the mixed bag that is this story. The monk is fiendish, the supernatural element is nice and dark, and the plot has more holes than a rusty cheese grater. (laughs) you covered most of them on your show, but one thing that bothered me when I was reading this to Lily is that there are several car trips or plane trips that are made from Paris to Hungary, and they act like it's just the next town over. Those two aren't even close. At all. I mean, France is small compared to the U.S., but it's still pretty darn big. Just to get to the Hungarian border from Paris would take 12 hours. (laughs) The plane would be a bit faster, but Batman has a gyro, not a jet. The other thing I wanted to mention is that werewolf and vampire mythologies are not as entirely separate as you might think. The Wolfman, and I assume he's talking about the uh, Lon Chaney? Probably. Lon Chaney movie. Uh, but the Wolfman hadn't hit theaters at this point, and the vast majority of the modern conventions with werewolves were completely made up for that movie. However, Dracula had been a film for a few years now, and in that film, Dracula seems to have an affinity with the wolves in that film. In Bram Stoker's novel, he becomes a wolf, which would make him a werewolf by the strictest definition. But there are versions of the myths in Central Europe where vampires could be dead human bodies that rose and became blood-drinking wolves, or some variation of that. On the other hand, Gardner Fox could have just had his ideas mixed up. It's not like the possible misuse of the terms vampire and werewolf was the largest plot hole in this story. Because, yeah, this story has some awesome, awesome ambiance, cool art in places, and a few, few good ideas, but all those were ultimately mixed into a retarded story. <laughs> well, that's all I had except for this. It's not news to you that when I found this show was coming down the pike that I got very excited, and you haven't let me down. I've told other Golden Age Batman fans, and they say they're enjoying it as well. So keep up the good work, and I look forward to more. John Wilson. That was a good email. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing to me
1: how, how much of the uh, mythology for werewolves and, and vampires was introduced by movies more so than you know um, mm-hmm. folk, folklore or, right. or where they originally came from. So
2: Didn't the uh, stake through the heart for vampires, didn't that come from a movie as well?
1: Not sure about that, but I know like the the whole daylight thing did. Maybe that's what I was thinking of. Um, I think even in Bram Stoker's novel, he just he could go out during the day. Dracula could, but he would just be weak, but he wouldn't die. Mm. And then in the movie, they made it, you know, that he'd blow up. So
2: right. I like a lot of those old Universal horror movies, but yeah, I've spent a lot of time, you know, getting into their their roots beyond that. Right. Uh, John hosts the John hosts a veritable uh, buffet of podcasts relating to various comic book characters. Uh, He's got Golden Age Superman, which you can find at goldenagesuperman.libsyn.com. He's got Amazing Spider-Man Classics, which covers uh, the Silver Age Spider-Man going forward, starting with the Stan Lee, Steve Ditko era. And you can find that at amazingspidermanclassics.libsyn.com. If you're interested in more modern Spider-Man, he's also co-host of Teenage Wasteland, an Ultimate Spider-Man podcast, which you can find at teenagewasteland133.libsyn.com. And then, last but not least, there's The Mighty Shield, a Captain America podcast, which he co-hosts with Michael Kaiser here, and you can find that at themightyshield.com. And I think if John gets any more podcasts, we're going to have to start a John Wilson podcast podcast. <laughs> right.
1: He get should have plugged in. He should at least uh buy stock in Libsyn.
2: Right. Yes. <laughs>
1: uh okay, so next email is from Calvin Bose, and the subject was the different titles. Um and it goes, I have recently started reading scans of the comics from 1935 on. I am now in the year 1939 and I can see very clearly how Superman and Batman really have caught on. At this moment in time, There is nothing like them other than the Crimson Avenger. I am finding this very interesting. One interesting thing to point out is that even though the company calls themselves Detective Comics, Inc., Detective is the only one that doesn't have a fan club. More Fun has a fan club. Adventure has the Junior Federal Men of America. Action has the Supermen of America. But Detective, the name of the title that the company adopts, doesn't have one. I wonder why this is. But I really want you to know I'm really enjoying your show a lot. Thanks, Calvin.
2: That's kind of disappointing that Batman never gets a fan club. I was looking forward to that. It is a little weird, isn't it? I dig the Superman of America stuff.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I've never read anything as to why he didn't get one. Hmm.
2: Um, Uh, Maybe the – I don't know how long the fun club and junior federal man of America last, but maybe maybe they pass away pretty soon and the Superman of America wasn't as popular as we've been led to believe. I don't know.
1: It's possible or just a – a pain in the butt to produce it could be yeah
2: our next email is again from Glade Packer and it's titled Detective Comics number 32 and Glade writes hey guys the story about the mad monk reminds me of the direct-to-video the Batman vs Dracula have you guys seen that and if so what do you think as for Batman knowing about vampires perhaps he read the original Dracula or did research piecing together the elements he encountered with the monk or something the familiars and the silver are referenced in the Blade movie trilogy, since one of you asked about that. Pleasure, as always, to hear another great episode. Glade. That's true. I think in Blade, the vampires would burn if they touched silver, or they were like That's...
1: allergic to it or something.
2: I think I saw the first Blade movie, but I haven't seen any of the rest of them. Yeah. I don't know. I, I always associated silver with werewolves, but I'm sure it's interchangeable.
1: And It could be, yeah. And really, that was, you know my least problem with that story. So. Right, yeah. yeah.
2: Have you seen Batman vs. Dracula?
1: I have. a lo- It's been a while, but I did see it. It was pretty... Um, I remember thinking it was better than I thought it was going to be, and also a lot um, darker than I thought it was going to be.
2: I saw it too, but like like you, it's been a long time. And I really didn't care for it, but then I really didn't care for the Batman when when it was out and on TV. But since uh we started this podcast i've seen some clips on youtube and i really kind of like what i see so yeah i was actually thinking about this the other day i don't know if maybe my dislike for it was because you know uh justice league had just ended and it was such a radically different style or what but i'm actually looking forward to covering that show (laughs) and the movie that goes with it because like i said the stuff i've seen online has been pretty pretty fun
1: when we're 95 years old yeah oh yeah um our grandkids will do that. Yeah, I kind of miss that, that show, too. I've seen a few episodes here and there, but um, it is definitely something I've wanted to rent at some point and go through. I think visually it looks really cool. I don't know if the stories are as cool as the visuals, but...
2: Cool theme song.
1: Very cool theme song, yeah. <laughs> Someone should use that for a podcast. Exactly. Um, okay, next up we have Calvin Bowes again, and it's called... The email subject line was Batman and Zorro. Um, and he says... I have always liked the fact that Bruce and his mom and dad were leaving the movie Zorro at the time of the murder. My main reason is because how similar Batman and Zorro are. First, they are both named after an animal. Zorro means fox. Second, both Bruce Wayne and Don Diego are loaded. Third, they both had to fight outside the law for justice. Fourth, they both dress in black. Fifth, they both both are famous for using a black mode of transportation. Zorro rides a black horse and and Batman has a Black Batmobile. Six, they both use a trademark to strike fear and let people know that they're there. Batman a bat, Zorro a Z. And last, they both have a cave as a secret hideout. Think of it this way sometime. Between 1920 and 1925, Bruce and his mom and dad go see Zorro. He sees his hero fighting for injustice and he thinks this is cool. After the flick, they are walking home as it is a nice evening, and are discussing the film. Suddenly, from out of nowhere, a scumbucket robs his parents and brutally murders them before his eyes. At that point, the guy gets away scot-free, and Bruce wonders why there's no guy like Zorro to save them from these types of criminals. He imagines that Zorro would swing in and take care of people like that crook, and his mom and dad would still be alive. So that night, when he kneels at his bed in prayer, he pledges that if no one else will be like Zorro, he will. So from then on, he trains himself, and in 1939, after choosing to take the appearance of a bat, he finally begins his fight for justice, hoping that he may prevent some other little boy not to have to suffer the loss he had. So he is now the new Zoro. His life may have been different had he seen another flick. What do you guys think, Calda? I
2: think they need to write a comic where his family went to go see The Sound of Music. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah are alive. <laughs> yeah, that would have turned out a much different Batman. Um, uh,
2: first of all, I did not know that Zorro meant Fox. So yes. thank you, Calvin, for telling us that, because I that's that's news to me.
1: Yeah, I was a big fan of, back when I was a kid, and we, the only cable channel we had that I cared about was the Disney Channel, mm-hmm. and uh, they used to play the that oh. Zorro TV show from, I don't know what year it was, it was black and white, and Disney had produced it
2: um, was it live action or?
1: Yeah, it was live action, and it's it was starring that guy that would later go on to be in uh, or came from uh, Lost in Space, and I can't remember his name now. I'm blanking on it, but
2: Frank Langella? No,
1: no. Guy Williams. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was from 1957, and um, but what I liked about it is he was very happy to be Zorro, and he had a lot of fun mm-hmm. being Zorro, and I think traditionally that's how Zorro. <laughs> has always been betrayed so yes there're absolutely a lot of similarities between Zoro and Batman as, as we've already talked about last episode and even before that but um I think as far as iconic Batman versus iconic Zoro their temperaments are quite different um
2: as far as the iconic ver- yeah oh definitely
1: yeah as far as the finger Batman he actually kind of sounds a lot like Zoro to me but
2: yes yeah oh, yeah definitely
1: um but yeah there's there's no uh, no denying that they borrowed a lot from Zoro when they created Batman.
2: Our next email is again from Calvin Bowes, so he had a a trio of emails this time. Uh, It's entitled, The First Batman Story, and he writes, You mentioned in one show about Detective Comics number 27 that it was cool that they hide that Bruce is Batman until the very last panel. I think it would have been cooler had they waited several issues and let us, the reader, think it could be one of several people. The reason I say this is I just got done watching the 1938 Lone Ranger serial. In that serial, there are nine men who could be the Lone Ranger, and as each chapter of this awesome serial goes on, one by one, each of the men is killed off until the last chapter when they finally tell us who he is. If you ever get a chance, you must see it, but I feel that it would have been cool to do the same with Batman. But unfortunately, I was not alive in 1939 to advise Bob Kane on this. (laughs) Right. That would have been a good idea. I mean, I, I think we talked about that in the first episode, that. Uh, we liked the idea that they didn't reveal Batman's identity until the end.
1: And we, we even thought about the idea that it might have been cool if they had just kept that going for a while longer. Right.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. But that that Lone Ranger serial does sound pretty good. I may have to dig that out some point.
1: Yeah. Um, okay, next up we have an email not from Calvin Bose. It's from Trent Goss, and I'm sorry if I'm butchering your last name, G-A-U-S-E. And it's a short one. It says, uh, "According to DC, Gotham City is located in New Jersey, while Metropolis is in Delaware. They are within driving distance. Enjoy the programs, Trent." Cool. Um, I wonder if
2: that is uh, post-crisis or.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of wondering what his source is because I bet you DC has said a lot of things about the location of those cities, but.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so write us in, Trent. Let us know what your source is for that because I'm I'm kind of curious. Right. Our next email, our final email, I think, for this episode comes from Mark Tyler Nobleman. And I mentioned Mark back in Episode 7 because Mark wrote Boys of Steel, The Creators of Superman, which is a uh, biography on Jerry Siegel and Joe Shuster. And right now he's working on another book, a similar book, about Bill Finger. But So I was kind of surprised to uh, get an email from Mark, but he writes – Hi, Michael Squared. Glad to to have discovered your site. Clever idea. Well executed. I like the kill count, and I'm glad you learned that Batman has magical gas. (laughs) I I thought that was Zatanna, but I admittedly do have gaps in my knowledge. I was honored to read you like my book, Boys of Steel, and mention my upcoming one on Bill Finger. Boys of Steel will always be so dear to me, but I have a feeling the Finger book will be an even deeper or an even bigger impact for reasons I can't reveal yet. So I'm reaching out now with the hope that you might want to cover the book when it comes out. Please mark your calendars now, July 1st, 2012. Keep up the good work. Best, Mark. Awesome. Awesome.
1: And I actually have, after you recommended that on our show, I actually went to my library and found Boys of Steel.
2: Oh, did you? Yeah, it was a cool read. Mm-hmm. It's not exactly targeted at, I mean, it's targeted at kids. It's a kid's oh, book. Oh, for sure. I think um, really any comic fan could... Pick that up and enjoy it, especially mm-hmm. if they have an interest in the creators and kind of the history behind it. Absolutely. But everybody write that down on your calendar. July first, two 2012, Mark Tyler Nobleman's book on Bill Finger will be out. And we will definitely let you know as that approaches if we – I don't think there's been an actual title released for it yet or announced. But um, when we get a title or any any other information, we will let you know right here on Legends of the Batman. Yep
1: looking forward to it so that's the emails for the last uh i guess two shows so detective comics number 36 was released approximately january 4th of 1940 and it had a cover date of february 1940 and a cover price of cover price of 10 cents the editor was according to mike's amazing world of dc whitney ellsworth but according to the grand comic book database it was vincent
2: sullivan i would trust mike's amazing world of dc comics above
1: well yeah i kind of agree with you especially since i looked ahead on 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 the gc db and they continue to credit vincent sullivan for the next right. three issues but that said i think vincent left in january so maybe he had his, some handiwork in this issue who knows um but this is the first issue that uh has no credit for an editor. So, I found that interesting.
2: Oh, in the Indicia?
1: Yeah. Huh. Every, everyone before this had a big opening line that said edited or editor Ben Sullivan, so. Interesting. And suddenly that's gone. But anyway, if it if it was him, it won't be for much longer. So, the cover is of course features Batman cuz they all do now, and it's got Batman kicking some sword-wielding mongols that he encountered last issue. Because, like we've been saying, these covers seem to be one issue off as far as what they're representing. So, last issue he fought two Mongols who were, you know, carrying swords, and it looks like that's what's going on on the cover of this issue. He's kicking them down the stairs, and I kind of wanted to notice that. I kind of wanted to note that the this is the first time we've not only have Batman on the cover, but we also have his icon, which they normally just use when he's not on the cover. Right. So, So now he's just. Truly dominating Detective Comics.
2: And Batman is on all the covers from now on.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Story Inside will eventually be called Professor Hugo Strange um, in the reprints. It's 12 pages. Script by Bill Finger. Pencils by – or actually, i me just say art by Bob, Bob Kane and Jerry Robinson. Um, and letters by Jerry Robinson. And the story goes – Making his way homeward after a night of being totally awesome, Batman spies a man being chased by a car. As the Batman makes his way from the roof to the street below, the man being chased is shot by the driver of the car, who quickly drives away when he spots Batman approaching. Batman scoops up the gunshot victim, asking him who shot him, but the dying man uses his last breath to mutter, Fog! Fog! Strange! Fog! Ah! and then dies in Batman's arms. As Batman rummages through the dead man's pockets, hoping to find clues, he discovers a black notebook, but before he can sift through it, he is spotted by the police, who immediately assume Batman to be the killer. They attempt to arrest him, but Batman easily escapes by leaping over a six-foot fence and disappearing into the night. Safe at home, Bruce Wayne mulls over the dying man's last words and decides that strange was not meant to be an adjective, but rather a name, Hugo Strange a notorious yet mysterious scientist, philosopher, and criminal genius some consider to be the most dangerous man in the world. Reading through the notebook he found on the victim, Bruce finds it to be blank, except for one page that has a list of addresses, mostly of banks, and at the bottom of the page is a reference to the FBI. Deducing the victim must have been a G-man, Bruce vows to clear Batman's name of his murder, but decides to wait for Hugo Strange to make the next move. Not far away... Hugo Strange sits in a room in front of a fireplace, rubbing his hands together and thinking evil thoughts, when the driver and killer of the G-Man arrives, telling Strange he was able to accomplish his murderous assignment, but that he was spotted by the Batman and ran away. Unhappy that his thug didn't also shoot the Batman when he had the chance, Strange decides to go ahead with his evil plan anyway, because there's nothing Batman could have learned from a dead man. The next night, a thick, humid fog blankets the entire city which causes nothing but frustration for the police, who now are unable to see well enough to chase down the criminals responsible for a rash of bank robberies which suddenly breaks out. At home, Bruce listens to the radio and learns that the first two places on the list he found on the on the G-Man's notebook were robbed. He also learns of news about a missing electrical engineer named Henry Jenkins. As Bruce ponders whether or not the recent bank robberies and the mysterious fog are somehow connected, a group of strangest thugs knock on the door of the third location on the notebook's list, the Sterling Silver Company, tricking the night watchman to let them in by hiding within the fog and claiming they are police officers. As they hold the watchman at gunpoint and pat themselves on the back for being so clever, suddenly the bent watchman throws off his clothes, straightens up, and the gigantic frame of the Batman stands towering in the light. The Batman makes short work of the quivering henchman, and then fires off a gun into the air to attract the police. Batman disappears into the night just as the police arrive and arrest Strange's men. The next day, Hugo Strange reads the latest news from the Daily Globe and enraged, enraged that the Batman got the better of him and his men. Deducing that the Batman must have somehow known about the locations he was planning to rob, he decides to prepare a warm reception for Batman at the next place on his list. That night... The Batman quietly breaks into the next place on Strange's list, the World Brothers Fur Company, but is startled as the lights come on and he is suddenly surrounded by men. As the thugs remind each other that they are supposed to take Batman alive, the Cape Crusader swings into action, giving them all a good run for their money. But the numbers are too great, even for the totally awesome Batman, and one of the thugs manages to bring a blackjack crashing down on Batman's skull from behind. Knocked unconscious, the men bring Batman back to Hugo Strange's lair as ordered hugo has his men tie batman up against the wall and proceeds to slat to lash batman with a whip as punishment for daring to interfere with hugo's plans but after one lashing batman decides he's had enough and breaks his rope bonds with his steel muscles quickly knocking out Strange's thugs by throwing a sleeping capsule he pulls from his utility belt strange bolts from the room full of gas attempting to escape but batman tackles him to the floor hugo turns the table however and pins batman down choking him with madman-like strength until Batman has to use jiu-jitsu to free free himself, pummeling Hugo as payback for the whipping. Tying Hugo up, Batman leaves him on the floor to explore his house, looking for the source of mysterious fog plaguing the city. Coming upon a barred room, the Batman finds a giant sci-fi doohickey and the missing electrical engineer, Henry Jenkins, tied to a chair. Jenkins explains that the doohickey is a machine he invented that makes concentrated lightning and that Hugo Strange somehow discovered the machine's side effect caused condensed steam to permeate the air, so he kidnapped Jenkins and had him make another machine for his own purposes. Together, Batman and Jenkins turn off the machine, and as the fog clears the city, the citizens express their appreciation of the Batman for saving them once again. Meanwhile, at the state penitentiary, Hugo Strange squeezes the bars on his new prison and vows to escape one day and dedicate his life to exacting revenge on the Batman the end very cool very cool
2: um, I like the opening splash quite a bit but my problem is that Batman is kind of facing away from the reader and his chest is all in shadow so you can't see his symbol right but other than that it's a really great splash um, I like the detail in the street and the little you can see like a fire extinguisher there on the corner or excuse me fire hydrant and then a canopy and the detail in the brickwork it's Really nice.
1: Yeah, usually uh, most of these panels have been you know, straight-on point of view. So I like that this is a bird's-eye point of view shot where he's looking down onto the city below. I think that's like the first time we've seen that in a in a story we've covered. So I, I do like that. I, I, I see what you mean, though, about his chest being all blacked out. I guess they didn't have to do that, but oh well.
2: But we are still using the Superman-Batman logo or Super Batman logo.
1: Yep. Looks looks more like it than ever.
2: <laughs> I think that annoys you more than it does me.
1: It really does, <laughs> especially since, like I said already, they had that other logo, right? Yeah. Ugh. But Batman's gloves have fins.
2: Yes. Finally. Not on the cover though, just on the inside. Right.
1: Well, that cover was meant for last issue. Right. Um, but yeah, his so his, I guess his look is complete now. Essentially, I mean, it's not. It, yeah. He, it gets. He's got the... It continues to get tweaked, but right. all the all the elements are now officially there that I can think of. Uh,
2: the only thing really that might be considered iconic is the oval around the bat symbol.
1: True, true. That's,
2: but that doesn't come up for a while yet. Quite a while, yeah. yeah. Um, with Earth-1 Batman. <laughs> um, um, I, I like how the, uh, the, uh, the criminals, once they see Batman, they're like, The Batman, let's get out of here. I don't want to fool around with him. Yeah, showing, showing that criminals really are a superstitious and cowardly lot. And I like the panel
1: right right before where they shoot the guy, and in the background you see like I guess he's jumping down to the mm-hmm. the street, but it kind of looks like he's he's been he's also shocked, like oh my god they shot him. You know? <laughs> it's really funny looking.
2: It's got the lines around him,
1: yeah. Yeah, but here we have more, and this isn't Fox now. This is Finger, but we kind of have more random circumstance. But I kind of. I'm not bothered by this one that much because he's at least Batman and he's patrolling the city and
2: right. I like seeing him out patrolling. And...
1: Right, that's that's kind of what superheroes do. They they it's... come across things that are unlikely for them to come across. So
2: yeah, on uh, on my show, uh, the Superman show, it was it was several several stories in before we saw Superman out on patrol. It was it was way way farther in than you would think. And even here we're. What ten stories in, and and we're just now seeing Batman doing some sort of active, uh, you know, offensive patrol of the of the city. So that's that's kind of a nice right. addition too. Right.
1: Exactly. And it also even says in this caption he's on his way home. So for all we know, he's not patrolling. He was just on a some mission, and it's over. But
2: <laughs> went to the grocery store. Right.
1: <laughs> right. Had to fuel up the bat plane. Oh, but that doesn't exist anymore. Never mind.
2: It got blown up real good.
1: Yeah. So Batman is still at odds with the police, obviously, as immediately they assume he's the killer.
2: Well, I learned from Murder, She Wrote, that when you see a dead body, you don't kneel down beside it and touch it. Because (laughs) at that moment, the police are always going to come in.
1: That's for dang sure, huh? But in the future, I think he gets a little more leeway. But, yeah.
2: Could be, yeah. Not here. I like the panel of uh, Batman jumping over the fence, though, and we see the cops in the background and the, the moon and the silhouettes of the building. It's it's a great panel. Even His symbol is missing, which is the only kind of downside to the panel, but it's, it's really great. Yeah. The police give up a little bit too easily, don't you think? They just um, kind of stop. Well, there's no use going any further. <laughs> well, he jumped over a fence. You know how hard it is to jump over a fence? No. Well, okay.
1: <laughs> no, I don't know. Yeah.
2: I guess, but you know, they only got twelve pages, so they they
1: could they could have probably dedicated twelve pages to the policeman chasing down Batman. But
2: but aside from that, this whole opening sequence is it's I just love it. I mean, it's very dynamic. Mm It's very very Batman. Um, Yeah. You know, he comes across a crime, gets a clue, evades the police. It's just really great stuff.
1: Yeah, and right off the bat, now he's he's accused of killing this guy and. And we don't know what's going on any more than Batman does, so it's cool as it just gets slowly revealed to the reader.
2: Uh, and then we go home and see Bruce just kind of sitting in his living room, puzzling through the man's last words, which to me is a bit odd, but I think that's because I'm more accustomed to seeing him brooding in the Batcave, still right. kind of half-dressed in costume. Yeah. Here he's just sitting in his smoking jacket with his pipe. And...
1: Yeah, we're missing the Batcave. Yeah. For sure. He doesn't have anywhere to go to to solve crimes yet. His chair isn't especially dramatic. So, um, And once again, it's it's just like... Um, oh, what's his face? That villain who was your favorite villain last episode? Um, Carl Kruger. Carl Kruger. It's the same idea here where it's like, everybody knows about this guy, but nobody does anything about this guy, I guess.
2: I, I think know. he leaps to the conclusion that it's Hugo Strange and a fog instead of a strange fog. uh-huh I think he jumps to that way too easy. I mean, I would yeah. have foreseen preferred to see him going through his uh, files like he did in that Carl Kruger story, right? And it's but, weird that he would sit there and think about it, figure it out, and then look at the book. The <laughs> right. <notebook. laughs> Why not look at the notebook first? Yeah. Maybe, maybe there's a clue in there. I, you know. Yeah, that that might have
1: been a better way for him to figure out that it was Hugo Strange. Yeah. Is something that was in that notebook, but okay. but it is. I I do kind of like the the idea that the dying man's last words sound like he's just talking about a strange fog but really he means hugo strange's fog that was kind of cool yes yeah um even if the way he deduced it wasn't especially interesting but it was it was creative
2: on page three bruce seems a little bit passive here
1: where he where he decides to let hugo make the next move
2: yeah i mean someone just died and he's like well i'll just wait and see what happens It doesn't well, it's a, uh, it's a very dramatic panel, you know, with the, the fire and the shadow and everything. I think
1: everything, but. I think that's why it seems passive because he stands up. There's this big shadow of him against the wall, and he makes this the big
2: clenched speech. fist and yeah,
1: yeah, big speech about how he has to clear Batman's name. But I'll just sit around and wait for a little while, <laughs> and see what happens. Yeah, so that's where it goes wrong. Um, but first appearance of Hugo Strange.
2: Mm-hmm. I love this introduction. Uh, The Uh, art is nice. The writing is great. I mean, you can just imagine this being a movie as the camera slowly moves in behind the chair and then pans around to focus on Strange himself. And then him berating the thug and laughing over his diabolical scheme. It's it's just,
1: I love it. Yeah, it's very cool. Um, I'll admit that I I don't think I've ever read a story with Hugo Strange in it before. Um, I've heard of him, of course. Right. But I always thought he was, like, more of a – and he probably is traditionally more of, like, a some mad scientist or, or something like that. Here he seems more like, you know, a kingpin of crime kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I think we've attributed Dr. Death as being the first, you know, reoccurring Batman villain, which, of course, he was because he showed up right again next issue. Right. It's mm-hmm. The issue after he first appeared, but <laughs> – um, since then, he kind of only comes back just to have his origin updated, and then he disappears again. Where I think Hugo, right. Strange, Hugo Strange is a lot. Um, I don't know if he's one of Batman's like top ten villains or anything, but he he does show up more prominently in Batman stories than Doctor Death does. So this is uh, like I think I could be wrong.
2: Well, he's got uh, let's see Batman. Oh, excuse me, Joker, Catwoman, Two Face, Riddler, Penguin, Mister Freeze.
1: Is this Michael is this Michael Bradley's official top 10? I'm just listing
2: oh. trying to, you know, what 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 ones come off of my head uh-huh. first. Um it's weird, you know, whenever I think of Batman villains, I immediately go to the ones that were on the Adam West series. Right. So it's Joker, Catwoman, Penguin, and the Riddler. Right. Those four and then everyone else just kind of um I don't want to say falls by the wayside, but they're they're a lot lower in the rankings.
1: So he could be like, if we were going by actors or something, he could be like a B list villain, right? Whereas you know, Joker is obviously A, um, and Doctor Death would be more like C or D, and all these other ones we've been reading have F, yeah, never, never come back. So, um, but he does appear on, he did appear on Batman the Animated Series and Justice League, and The Batman, where apparently he was voiced by Frank Gorshin. Speaking of of the Adam West TV show. The
2: Riddler, okay. Right,
1: right. So I thought that was kind of cool. And he's been on Brave and the Bold. And he's appeared on the Lego Batman video game as a villain. And he is the feature villain for the upcoming Arkham City video game, which is a much-anticipated sequel to the um,
2: Arkham Asylum Asylum game. So So I guess it's fair to say he's Batman's first prominent villain. Right. Even if he's not a significant villain like the joker
1: that's a good way Captain. to put it yeah yeah and he's much bigger than i thought he was because he is just towering over this
2: oh yeah and in the later panel uh when let's see over on page five no nine yeah or page 10 when batman tackles him he looks pretty tall there mm-hmm. but that i think part of that's just uh wonky art but still yeah he's he seems pretty uh pretty tall I yeah know, height-wise yeah.
1: Um so what do you think of the the fog tactic as a plan, as a villainous plan, I guess?
2: It's very very super villain like. Yeah. You know, uh, overly overly complex. <laughs> <laughs> Might be one word just to, to say about it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean if you uh if nobody can see, you can pretty much do whatever you want to. So it's 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 very comic booky. It's not something that You're gonna see a real life criminal cook up, Uh, but it. it, I think it works. I like this kind of thing in comic books, even if it's not strictly realistic.
1: Yeah, I liked it too. I thought it was. I mean, simple in the sense as far as the idea. You know, you can't see, you can't chase us. Right. Not necessarily simple in making it happen, but yeah, I, I thought it was really cool too. But Commissioner Gordon did not because he got very, 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 very mad.
2: Commissioner Gordon's a hard case here. Yeah, he's not, he's not the friendly, you know, friendlier but resolved character that we see in modern comic books. Right.
1: I that, and it's funny that he's only in this one panel. But it's like Finger really, really likes Commissioner Gordon. Has got to keep using him. Yeah. Um,
2: well, he's a he's the only recurring character besides Batman. And Julie. <laughs> Julie came from the Fox stories, though. Oh, true. Yeah. We haven't seen Finger take on Julie yet. So. Right. Right. But then we get more of this uh, just passive Bruce because he apparently just sat around for a couple of days while these places were robbed. You know, why not as Batman check out the place? He had a list of places in that book that he found. Why not go out as Batman, check those out instead of just sitting at home as Bruce smoking your pipe while these places get robbed?
1: Right. You you definitely got a point there. Um, but he looks so dapper just sitting around in his,
2: yeah. his
1: pinstriped outfit smoking his pipe. <laughs> um yeah. i think um it's like i like seeing that he's you know sort of using his brain he's piecing together all these radio things right. and making his own story um but yeah you're right he's not quite there yet as far as a character who's like ahead of everybody else
2: right but i, I just like how every issue so far has had batman or bruce smoking his pipe
1: yeah That's great it's very golden age mm-hmm. um but he does get. I like the scene where he uh, poses as the Watchman.
2: Yeah. Um, Even if he's not wearing gloves as the Watchman, and then suddenly <laughs> he's on again in the next panel. But that's that's that could be a coloring thing too, I guess.
1: Yeah, it could be, and it's certainly better than him wearing like a, a mask over his. <laughs> yeah. Over, over his mask, at least he's just wearing yeah. a big hat. Nice. <laughs> um. But that was that was cool because you know we were. As we just complained not two seconds ago about how he he's kind of being passive, all of a sudden now he's he he uh, got ahead of them a little bit. So. Right, mm-hmm. I like that.
2: And I like the panel this this uh, kind of half page splash panel where Batman just plows through the crooks. Mm hmm. Batman really all through this issue, Batman looks a little stockier than we've seen him.
1: Right. Before. Yeah, I think that's
2: not um, not really like roided up, but just uh, more
1: Cartoony. more uh, athletic. Yeah, he's getting he's getting more chiseled,
2: mm-hmm.
1: more angular. Um, and also he's back to being Spider Batman again.
2: Yeah, I don't really don't really care for the quipping. No, but I think we're gonna have to get used to that because. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! It's not going. Pretty anywhere. It'll, it'll go from quipping to puns. So.
1: And he, he'll probably get some reoccurring character who quips even worse than he does. So.
2: You know, I was just thinking the other day it would be good if he had a character like that.
1: So. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but he has a little bit of darkness he's still sporting a gun yep he's not using it on anybody but
2: but you notice he's never not in a single one of these stories has he used his gun to shoot someone no other than the monk and dalla but they were not quote-unquote
1: human so no he threatened somebody once i think that was about as close as he came right and at that point, I think it was even their their gun at the time. But eh, I don't yeah, know. that
2: was in one of the first stories. Yeah.
1: Right. But it's interesting to me that you know, yeah, you're right. He doesn't use it on anybody, but he continues to carry one. I guess that makes sense, though.
2: Well, yeah. In in this era, yeah. Yeah.
1: You never know. You might need a gun. Um, but I like how Hugo Strange never really figures out how Batman knows about his list. Right. He just kind of decides that he must know somehow yeah
2: um,
1: it's just a minor thing but I liked that they didn't you know spell it out completely you got Batman guessing what Hugo's doing and Hugo's guessing what Batman's doing and
2: well he says the Batman knows my plans possibly talked possibly the g-man talked before he died right so he's, so, he's kind of figuring things out
1: yeah I mean he's figured out enough of it okay. he doesn't know about the book or you know whatever and how could he uh, so okay
2: yeah I like this last panel of Batman, kind of silhouetted through the fog. Yeah. That's a very cool panel.
1: Yes, very very cool, very moody.
2: On page seven, Batman has it. Could just be a coloring glitch, but Batman has red eyes in that third panel.
1: Yeah. Um, uh, it must be a glitch because I don't know. I don't think they were doing the infrared thing back then. No. But I think it's funny that I don't. I don't see modern Batman being being trapped in this manner. No, where, where you just fill a room full of guys and turn the lights off. <laughs> yeah, and he's yeah. somehow yeah. he's not going to figure that out. But
2: yeah, he's a little more uh, has a little more foresight that the that the criminals are going to try it. Yeah,
1: right. He probably would scope the place out first before just walking in the door. But right. Um, uh,
2: but uh, speaking of, we talked about the costume earlier. But Batman's cape is fully Batman's cape is fully the traditional cape. No, yep. not even a hint anymore of the bat winged. No, it's not on the cover. I guess we did, but not on the interior artwork.
1: Yeah, because he's he's swinging around on this uh this cable and mm-hmm. it's not it's not splitting in two anymore. It's just a cape, right? But very dynamic. Um, oh, definitely, yeah. Artwork here. I'm wondering if see it's hard to say because kind of the artwork's been changing with each issue anyway. Right. It seems like, but now now that we know that Jerry Robertson Robinson's involved, I wonder if. How much of his handiwork is in here?
2: Well, it. What I'm picking up on in this issue is a lot of just little details,
1: mm-hmm. uh,
2: like we talked on the first the first panel there with the fire height. You know, just the the finer details of the art. And um,
1: right. Well, unlike this last panel of him swinging onto the balcony, that's not anything I've seen really before from Bob Kane. Right. Um, and that could either be he found a new thing to swipe, or or Jerry Robinson.
2: Mm-hmm
1: could be adding his own take on it.
2: But yeah, there, I really do dig the art. Oh, I really love the art in this this story. It's just very... Mm-hmm. And we've had some decent art before, but this is just really the best we've seen Right in the ten stories. Mm-hmm. Oh, but pages eight and nine, or just a uh, awesome, really seven, eight, and nine, uh, just an awesome set of pages here as Batman evades the men that had him trapped and then turns around and proceeds to beat the tar out of them. We just have a great action, great fight scene, and
1: that's like he took on I think eight people. Yeah, oh, yeah. In this, um, which apparently is just one too many, but
2: eh.
1: uh, it looks like he had them all down except this last guy.
2: Uh, seven more than
1: I could beat up, so there you go. <laughs> seven and a half more than I could beat up, probably. <laughs> um, but once again, like he's even. I like this part where he's picking the guy up over his head and tossing him across the room. That's like, that's really strong.
2: Oh yeah. But again, he's doing a lot of quipping that I could do without.
1: Mm -hmm. Save that for like a sidekick or something if you ever get one. But I like that Hugo Strange has no over-the-top death trap. It's kind of nice to get away from that a little bit. He's just going to hang Batman up on his wall and whip him. Right. That's much easier than making a big wheel or, you know, a bottomless pit or something like that.
2: (laughs) Talking flowers, yeah.
1: Talking flowers, Um, yeah.
2: I'm not sure how Batman broke the straps though. No. That in Fox's last story with the talking flowers. There you go. It just I think it stretches the credibility because if you're hanging by your wrists, I don't care how strong you are, you're you're not going to be able to break ropes, you know.
1: No. I think it would have been cooler if he, you know, had a knife or something hiding in his glove or. And
2: like slipped it out. Yeah, that would have been cool.
1: Or he's just Batman and can figure out how to untie knots or something like that, you know. That's more about how he, That's more like how he usually escapes by ingenuity versus just pulling something apart. But right.
2: although now that I think about it, maybe we should enjoy this Batman who's a little, a little inept because at some point he's going to become nigh unbeatable with all his, you know, tricks and. Yeah. But... Yeah,
1: that's true, but more gas. <laughs> <sighs> um, at least this time there's a room. So right. it's, it's contained, and I guess you can just say that everybody was too stupid to run out, except for Hugo and Batman.
2: We have a great fight scene between mm-hmm. Hugo and Batman. Batman tackles Hugo, and then Hugo starts to choke Batman, and Batman flips him over and punches him. And it's it, it's you know, if I had nothing else to say good about these issues, it's they have some great fight scenes with Batman and the villains.
1: Yeah, it's nice that Hugo is not only brains but also brawn apparently because he's oh, able – Oh,
2: definitely, to, definitely, yes.
1: He, he looks very big here where he's he flipped Batman over and he's choking him to death. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is the first time I think Batman has mentioned any sort of style that he's adopted or incorporated with.
2: Oh, the old jiu-jitsu trick? Yeah, yeah. He,
1: he says he uses jiu to knock him off. And like we've already said a few times that martial arts just isn't very prevalent in the United States at this time, so – Right. You're not going to hear a lot of kung fu talk, but I just found it interesting that he said jiu-jitsu at least.
2: Mm-hmm. And they haven't really talked yet about him learning various fighting styles. No. Nope. In, in the origin there, just said it, he trained his body to physical perfection, like an amazing athlete, something mm-hmm.
1: like that. So, yeah, and it just showed him lifting weights. Right. I think so. You could just assume that he took boxing class or something. I mm-hmm. don't know.
2: We get a nice uh, silhouette of the bat Batman silhouette on the wall in mm-hmm. panel three of page eleven.
1: Yep. Yeah. Very cool.
2: Which is unfortunately followed up by a big goofy-looking <laughs> Looney Tunes machine. I mean, I, I guess that's a minor minor squabble, you know.
1: Uh, I liked it. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's very. Uh, I I want to say 50 sci-fi, but this is 1940. But you know, right. it's just over the top. The roof is open, and there's lightning coming out of it. and Concentrated lightning. Concentrated <laughs> lightning, whatever the heck that is, yeah.
2: On page 12, it's interesting that Finger went into a, a great deal of trouble explaining you know, in detail how the fog was created, rather than just saying, oh, it's a giant fog maker. Right. I, I, it was a little heavy-handed on the exposition, exposition, but...
1: Yeah, that is true. I didn't even think about that. Why not just have it be a big fog maker instead mm-hmm. of... That being a side effect of concentrated lightning. I wonder if he was reading something somewhere where this has some sort of basis in reality.
2: I could have been. I don't know.
1: I don't know. Um, probably not, but it makes it sound a little more believable, maybe. Yeah. Not to just – I invented a fog maker.
2: Right. Page two – or panel two, rather. That's Batman. Yeah. Oh, this, there's nothing wrong with this panel right here. No, that sure looks like him, huh? Mm-hmm.
1: It's interesting to me that it seemed like this was the first time that people had nice things to say about Batman. Uh-huh.
2: We we a, a, as a whole, um we kind of talked about it and I think it was the first episode whether there would be a moment when the public started viewing Batman as a friendlier face mm-hmm. and I wonder if this is that moment.
1: It very well could be. Yeah, everybody's listening to the radio and you know Who is going the
2: Batman, daddy?
1: Yeah. The great man, son. A great, a
2: great man.
1: Right. So I really like that scene. But uh, yeah. I, I mean, the cops obviously still don't like him, but maybe they'll come around eventually.
2: Well, they're all corrupt anyway, so. That's
1: <laughs> right. <laughs> right. I think that's an 80s invention, but we'll yeah. find out. We'll yeah. find out. But great foreshadowing on that last panel.
2: Mm-hmm. Hugo Strange vowing vengeance on the Batman. Yep. Yeah, that probably means he'll be back. Could be.
1: Maybe next issue. The way things are these days, right? In this era, but uh,
2: the last panel of the page is an ad promoting future uh, issues or future stories of the Batman and Detective Comics, and it shows a little mock cover of Batman punching a villain through the comic book, which would have made for a very cool cover. Yeah. Unfortunately, it never was. But no.
1: Yeah, I like those little last panel. You know, read more Batman. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure about Sensational Batman. That doesn't quite ring for me, but it's fun stuff.
2: Overall. I like the story quite a bit. Oh yeah, I did. Uh, the text and, um, well the art, like we talked about is, I think it's the best we've seen. Uh huh. And I, I think Jerry Robinson's inks are largely to credit for that. Uh, but I really, at the same time, I think Bat or Bob Kane, I called him Batman, Bob Kane stepped up his game too. You know, like you said, there's, there's no real swiped poses that we've seen from previous stories. Right. And the fight scenes are very dynamic which if Bob Kane at least did layouts he would have staged a lot of that stuff.
1: So Well, and like we were talking last episode, I think they're they're starting to move away from, you know, the flash Gordon illustrated
2: uh-huh.
1: type thing to a more yes. cartoony Dick Tracy. And maybe that's just Bob Kane's forte is, is more you know, um chisel jaw superhero. Could car- be. Cartoony style, and maybe he was just trying too hard with the other ones and he kept having to swipe because he couldn't figure out what to do or something. Or it could be Jerry Robinson.
2: Or it could be Jerry Robinson, right. The text and dialogue in this story seem a lot denser, too, um, mm-hmm. especially in the first few pages and the last, but it doesn't really feel overly wordy, I don't think. No. No,
1: it was a cool plot. I mean, I liked seeing even though we kind of made fun of the fact that he was being passive, but it was neat to see Bruce Wayne quite quite a few times in this issue, and we got to see one panel of Commissioner Gordon, which made you feel like you're still in this city, New York City, I guess, but still, he's still around. No fiancé, but that's okay.
2: Um, I know next to nothing about, and it seems like you're the same way. I don't really know too much about Hugo Strange, so it's Mm -hmm. hard for me to say if this is a quote-unquote good Hugo Strange story or not, but... Just taking it on its own, I I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I did too. Like I said, I thought he was
1: more of a a Luther type or you know Golden Age Luther type, but he doesn't appear to be that way yet. But I, I have a feeling he probably will change to that at some point.
2: Yeah, I can kind of see this episode or this story as an episode of Batman the Animated Series. Yeah, Just tweaking the dialogue some to fit that Batman's personality. Mm-hmm. And I've noticed that quite a few times in these Golden Age stories. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that speaks a lot for that series, how much they kind of captured this this era, even if they weren't really intending to.
1: That series captured like
2: every yeah. every
1: era, and then like put it through a little filter and just kept all the good stuff. Uh huh. That's what makes that series awesome. Um, but this story, if you would like to read it, guess where it was reprinted: Batman Archives Volume One in 1990, and Batman Chronicles Volume One in 2005. So, the same two that we talk about every episode. If you you haven't bought one of those by now, what the heck's wrong with you?
3: July, 1963. The Marvel Age of Comics was dawning. First came the rise of the Fantastic Four. Then came the Incredible Hulk. Followed by the Amazing Spider-Man and the Mighty Thor. But... The Marvel Age was about to give way to the Age of the Atom, and nothing would be the same. Was the world ready for the strangest superheroes of all? The X-Men?
0: On June 3rd, you can go to the movie theater and see the evolution of the X-Men, or you can listen to Xavier's podcast for gifted youngsters, an X-Men podcast, and see how it really began. It's the Merry Marvel Mutants, Cyclops, Marvel Girl, the Angel, the Beast, Iceman, and their mentor, Professor Xavier, from the beginning, issue by issue. Every two weeks, join J. David Weider and Michael Bailey as they follow the X-Men saga, from the creation, to the first class, and beyond. Gasp at the tyranny of Magneto, stand in the awe of the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, marvel at the mystery of the Vanisher, and cower at the sight of the Sub-Mariner. All for the first time, panel by panel. On June 3rd, prepare for the Children of the Atom at xavierspodcast.blogspot.com. Hey,
3: everyone. My name is Michael Bailey. And
0: I'm Jeffrey Taylor.
3: And we host a podcast called From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast.
0: Presented by the Superman homepage. On the show... Wait, wait, wait. Uh, what? This just isn't working out for me. It's not bombastic enough. We need something epic.
3: Like, what?
0: Welcome to From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast. Presented by the Superman homepage. I am Jeffrey Taylor. And
3: I am Michael Bailey. From Crisis to Crisis chronicles the adventures of Superman wait, wait, from... wait, 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 wait. I'm just not feeling this.
0: I'm just wondering how there's a needle-scratching sound when all of this is clearly digital.
3: Look, all we need to say is that this is the, a trailer for a show called From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast presented by the home, Superman homepage. My name is Michael Bailey. And I'm Jeffrey Taylor. And every week we give in-depth synopsis and reviews for just about every Superman book published between Man of Steel number 1 in 1986.
0: And Adventures of Superman number 649 in 2006. We also talk about the related Superman media, what was happening in the rest of the world when these comics were published, and what else was going on in the DC Universe.
3: The show drops every Thursday-ish at the Superman homepage, which is located at www.supermanhomepage.com.
0: From Crisis to Crisis is also a proud member of the Superman Podcast Network, located at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com.
3: So join Jeffrey and I each week as we explore Superman during the post-crisis era, which includes Exile, Exile, Panic in the Sky, Doomsday, the Marriage, and Beyond.
0: And write into the show at From Crisis to Crisis at gmail.com and hear it read on the air. Eventually, because we get behind on that sort of thing.
3: Superman created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. Side effects from From Crisis to Crisis include loss of money from buying back issues, a desire to read 20-year-old comic books, nausea, drowsiness, pizza, blurred vision, upset stomach, a desire to kick puppies and kittens, and backache from lifting boxes of Superman comics. If the excitement of From Crisis to Crisis lasts more than four hours, seek immediate medical attention.
1: Other stories in this issue. We have a six-page Bart Regan spy story called The Rantor by Jerry Siegel and Maurice... Kashuba. We have a six page Buck Marshall Range Detective Story by Homer Fleming called Claim of Satan. We have
2: that is the final Buck Marshall story. Really? Yes.
1: Of all time, huh?
2: Of all time. So say goodbye to Buck Marshall.
1: Bummer. Bye, Buck Marshall. Actually, no one ever wrote us about Buck Marshall. Isn't that funny?
2: We, uh, our listeners are slacking off.
1: Yeah, I, I thought they would have, but oh well. Um, we have a six-page Steve Malone district attorney story by Don Lynch called Rocky uh, Rocky Roman. We have a six-page Speed Saunders story by Gardner Fox and Fred Gardiner called The Spider. Um, we have six pages of Cosmo, The Phantom of Disguise by Sven Elvin called The Purple Mesa, where he does not disguise himself in any way whatsoever. It's disappointing. Um, This guy just keeps going and going, doesn't he? We have a two-page text piece by Richard Martin and Bernard Bailey called A Climax in Opera. We have six pages of Bruce Nelson by Tom Hickey called A Weekend Part at the Mountain Lodge.
2: That's also the final Bruce Nelson story.
1: Ah, they're dropping like flies, huh? Mm Mm-hmm. And we have 10 pages of Slam Bradley by Jerry Siegel and Mark Bailey called The Lan Chi Tong. And this one does have one of those fun panels, which I'm not sure how fun this one is. But a home invader (laughs) comes upon Slam and Shorty who are sleeping in the same bed for some reason. And Slam exclaims, Housebreaker, eh? Well, you can break your chin on my knuckles.
2: As he and Shorty are in the same bed together.
1: Right. Right. Okay.
2: Yeah,
1: I, I have no idea.
2: <laughs> at the end of the uh, book Marshall, Speed Saunders, and Bruce Nelson strips, there is a line of text that reads, uh, "It it promotes Superman appearing only in Action Comics," which isn't exactly true because DC was publishing Superman at this point as well. Huh. Uh, so I thought that was kind of weird that they wouldn't promote their you know solo title, but um. Somebody it, didn't get the memo. Apparently not. Uh, this ad, or this issue also has a full-page, full-color ad promoting the headlining features from each of the company's six titles. Uh, we have Superman in Action, Batman in Detective, The Sandman in Adventure, uh, etc.
1: Cool. So the big – how many was that?
2: Well, there are six titles and they, they – uh, So six characters? Collect, yeah.
1: So the big six, DC's first big six?
2: Sure. <laughs> yes. I don't know if Ultraman is really uh, big six, but sure. <laughs> or, yeah. or
1: or Sandman for that matter, but yeah.
2: yeah. Well Sandman was a oh yeah, Sandman's a pretty major character. Yeah? Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. I mean he never he never gets uh I don't think he ever gets the status of, of Flash or Green Lantern, but because he was never he wasn't brought back in the Silver Age. Right. And he never definitely never gets to Superman and Batman, but oh yeah, he was in the Golden Age, yeah.
1: Sure. Right. They should have formed a team.
2: <laughs> Some sort of society, maybe.
1: Yeah, maybe. Yeah,
2: exactly. Um, elsewhere, other books from DC in January 1940, we had More Fun Comics number 52, which with the very first Spectre strip by Jerry Siegel and Bernard Bailey. Ooh. The Spectre is Jim Corrigan, a police detective who is brutally murdered by the mob. And his soul is then bonded with the spirit of God's wrath and is returned to Earth to punish all wrongdoings. Uh, the first story relates the origin of the specter, but the specter himself only appears in the splash panel because the story is continued to the next issue. When, uh, the, it, as I recall, it ends with um, Jim Corrigan dead, but then walking into some sort of light. And then when they bring, come back with the next issue, he's the specter. And then they kind of fill in the details. It's been a while since I've read that, but so a lighthearted comedy. <laughs> exactly, it is uh, though. It is uh, Siegel's biggest Jerry Siegel's biggest character, uh, not created with Joe schuster So I think that's fairly, fairly significant. In the, in the Spectre, you know, he's he's still around. Oh yeah, even though he's not Jim corgan anymore. But uh, we also had Adventure Comics number forty-seven. Uh, there's a strip in that called Captain Desmo, which ends its run. Well, actually, it doesn't end its run. It ends its run in Adventure Comics and moves over to more fun comics because it's replaced by a new character that is fairly prominent in the Golden Age. So we'll talk about that next issue, next okay. episode. Yep. And we had Flash Comics number three with the first uh, King Standish strip by Gary Gardner Fox and Harry Lampert. We had All American Comics number twelve with a red, white, and blue cover, and then there was Action Comics number twenty-two with a Superman story that leads into the story from next issue, which introduces Lex Luthor. Alright. And outside of DC, the really the only prominent book was Mystic Comics number one from it was the third Timely series. Timely oh. AKA the future Marvel Comics.
1: Yeah. Never heard of Mystic Comics though. Or Mystic whatever.
2: Yeah, me either. I'm not a not a big Marvel history guy, but um Yeah. You got anything else there for, for Detective Comics number 36?
1: Six. Six. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Welcome to uh, 1940, everybody. Welcome to
2: 1940, yeah. Well, thank you, everyone, for joining us for another episode. Uh, if you have questions or comments or if you want to email us now that we're actually reading emails again, feel free to send us an email to podcast at com. We also invite you to step, stop by the website at BatmanLegends.com for show notes for this and all episodes. At the site, you'll also find a contact form, a link to the show's Facebook page and Twitter feed, the RSS feed, and iTunes. And if you use iTunes, uh, please feel free to leave us a review. As of this recording, we've only received one or two iTunes reviews, and I'd really like to see dozens uh, if we can get our listeners to do it. But um. So definitely drop by iTunes if you download the show that way and leave a review for us. We also invite you to check out our other podcasts. Uh, first up is The Mighty Shield, a Captain America podcast, which Michael co-hosts with John M. Wilson. And you can find that at themightyshield.com. And then there is my solo podcast, The Thrilling Adventures of Superman, which you can find at greatkrypton.com.
1: And I think we have a small annu- announcement. small announcement as far as that show goes.
2: If you guys are not tired of hearing uh, Mr. Kaiser and I talk, go over to GreatKrypton.com and grab the latest episode of The Thrilling Adventures of Superman because Mr. Kaiser came on and guest hosted an episode with me where we talked about three Superman comics and we had a good time doing it.
1: I did wear my Batman t-shirt the entire time I was recording. Oh, now
2: see, you should have told me that because now
1: (laughs) I can't have you back. Just to represent, you know. I don't I don't want you guys okay. to feel like I'm, I'm betraying you. But <laughs> it seems like all our listeners like Superman the best anyway, so it's going to work out. Yeah. Um,
2: Next episode, we'll be looking at Batman material from February 1940, which is still just one comic, Detective Comics number 37. Also be sure to check out our partners, Batman Yesterday, Today, and Beyond, a fan site for Batman comics, toys, figures, news, and more, which you can find at batmanytb.com. So thanks again, folks, and we will see you next time. See you next week. Batman created by Bob Kane and Bill Finger and his copyright DC Comics.